10, and you can follow along as I read from verse 7 down through verse 16. John chapter 10, beginning verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, It would be our desire this morning to hear from the voice of our shepherd the words that will encourage our heart, that will strengthen us in our walk of faith with Christ. I trust that your spirit will engage us in these words of Jesus. We pray that we will be given understanding, and not only understanding, but we will apply these things in that understanding. Grow us in Christ. I pray for those that may be outside of the faith of Christ this morning, that, Father, you might call them to your Son and grant them the precious gift of abundant life that only Christ can provide. We want to take this hour in the reading and the study of your word to honor you, to see your glory and your majesty. So would you unveil those things to us this morning? Grant me the ability to speak well on your word, But I pray that by your spirit, you will grant us all spiritual ears to understand and to take these things in and to grow in Christ and to prosper in faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here in John chapter 10, in the reading that I just gave to you this morning, we see two more of the great I am's of John's gospel. There are seven of them, as we've pointed out before. We've already touched on two. Back in chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And here before us, I am the door and I am the good shepherds. And each one of these I am declarations in John by Jesus Christ are meant to teach us more about who Jesus is and what he promises to be for his people. We're going to see that in our study this morning. Jesus as the door and what that means to believers, and the result of such an understanding on our part should be a greater confidence in and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this will be one of the expectations I have from our study, and you'll see that in your note sheet as, as we go through these, these points of understanding of Jesus as the door. You will see there's a result. There should be an understanding from this knowledge of Christ that it brings to the people of Christ the knowledge of who Jesus is as the true and the good shepherd. It's in this kind of uh, Christian, the follower of Christ that is, that we see our shepherd for who he is 
And the result should be that it inspires us to want to follow him, to know more about him, to trust in his shepherding, and to worship him for us. And I believe that this kind of study is going to be the most difficult for those who find themselves the most capable, the most disciplined, perhaps the ones that really find confidence in their own abilities, their own discernments, or their own intellect. And if you happen to be that kind of confident Christian, I mean confident in yourselves, you're going to struggle with this understanding of sheep and shepherds. Because again, the best thing that we can do as we approach a text like this is to see ourselves as sheep that are in need of a shepherd. We are needy people. And the understanding of Jesus as a shepherd should teach us to look to him, trust in him, Reach out to him, follow him, embrace him in faith. Twice Jesus references himself in this passage as the good shepherd. And I believe that that's the main idea. We see that in verse 11 and verse 14. But he also references himself as the door, which is a self-declaration that we're going to begin with in our study this morning. And this added I am statement, Jesus saying I am the door, just further amplifies the picture of Jesus Christ as the good shepherd to his people. It teaches us that a truly good shepherd will take care of this flock in a saving way and in a provisional way. And I think you should mark that well. A truly good shepherd is going to care for his flock in a saving way and a provisional way. Hence, the, the title for this study this morning, as we look at verses 7 to 10, is the caring shepherd. And I'm using that word caring because of what Jesus means when he declares to us, I am the door. I'm the door of the sheep. He still has that flock, that sheep, that shepherd in mind. The analogy that we've talked about in the first six verses. And in saying that Jesus is a caring shepherd, we are not just simply expressing an inward affection for us or an inward emotion. We can say, gee, I care for you, and it expresses an inward emotion that we might have for one another. But when we say of Jesus Christ that he's a caring shepherd, it is not only declaring, I love you, but it is showing this is how I will provide for you out of that care. Look at John 13, verse 1. Jesus affirms his love for his sheep. And he says he loved them, his own people, to the very end. That's expressing the care that our shepherd has for us. But it's a care that provides for his flock. And this is what Jesus is expressing when he says, I am the door. It's a provisional care. A care of compassion that works out itself in practical measures, giving to his flock what is needed. In the first six verses, Jesus spoke of himself as the true shepherd who enters into the sheepfold by the door or the doorkeeper. And we weren't told directly what Jesus meant in those first couple of verses of chapter 10. What is meant by the door or the doorkeeper? But again, I think it is safe to conclude that what Jesus is saying is that he has come to call his sheep by means that have been approved by God the Father. He enters in the appropriate way, the authorized way. And in this sense, the door and the doorkeeper in verses 1 to 3 may represent the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah. It may refer to God and his decrees directly. It may also 
identify the Old Testament law, which required a blood sacrifice for sins, remember. And it's Jesus Christ and Him alone that has fulfilled the Old Testament law, not only in living the perfectly righteous life, but in giving Himself up on a cross and shedding His blood for His people. In some sense, the door in verses 1, 2, and 3 is representative of the divinely approved entrance of God Messiah to come into Israel and to call his own sheep to himself. And because those listening to Jesus did not understand his words, as it says in verse 7, Jesus puts his shepherding care into different expression of gospel faith. Actually, it's in verse 6 that Jesus said they did not understand this speech. And therefore, in verse 7, Jesus puts his shepherding care now into other language. I am the door. The Pharisees did not understand. But the language of sheep and shepherds is meant to help you and I understand the Son of God and our need for him. Not only does Jesus enter through the door approved by God, but now we see he is the door for his sheep that has been approved by God. Jesus then explains his meaning, meaning of himself as the door, in terms that describe his provision and his care for his sheep. The first of these we want to look at this morning is his exclusive care. Verse 7, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is now the second time he's used that expression. He's declaring a truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, here is a truth or a declaration that is significant for us to hear and to understand. And in the original language used by John here, Jesus is saying, I alone am the door of the sheep. He's emphasizing the I. It is I. I am the door. Dr. William Hendrickson, and I put this quote on your note sheet, made this point, who is a man that is skilled in the New Testament language. He writes, when Jesus says I, with an emphasis on I alone am the door of the sheep, he means that he is the only one through whom anyone obtains legitimate access. There simply is no other entrance. When Jesus is declaring here in these verses, I am the door, and twice you will notice he states that. He is saying, I alone am the entrance. There is no other access into the presence of God, into the favor of God, into the blessings of God, into the eternal heavenly kingdom of God. No other access but through the door that God has provided. And the Son of God is that door. Jesus Christ is that entrance. And as we step back and we look at the context of John 10, Jesus is declaring the the clear truth of God that he alone is the shepherd of God's people. The second use of this expression also reinforces the reality that what Jesus had to say in the first six verses was not comprehended. So he says, truly, truly, again. They didn't get the first, truly, truly. So he comes again saying, truly, truly, or in truth, I declare this, that I alone am the door. And the Pharisees, religious rulers, did not understand Jesus is making use of this metaphor, once again, of sheepfolds and sheep and shepherds to describe who he is to his people. And the Pharisees, at least, are not understanding. Nonetheless, this shows what Jesus 
had, had previously declared these Pharisees to be. Chapter 9, they were blind and they were still in their sin. His exclusive nature is highlighted, and I want us to notice this in our text. It is highlighted by the distinctions that he makes with the false shepherds and the false sheep. This crowd, who we assume largely to be Pharisees, did not discern that Jesus spoke of the shepherd of the sheep that enters by the door. He's identifying himself as the shepherd of God's people declared in the Old Testament scriptures through the prophets of God. And these experts in the Old Testament prophecies didn't see it. They didn't get it. And in identifying himself in this way, Jesus is making a clear distinction between himself as the true shepherd and the false shepherds in Israel. That's the first distinction. He distinguishes himself between the false shepherds and himself as the true shepherds. And he does so putting those false shepherds not only in the present tense, but in the past as well. The present being the Pharisees, Sadducees, the the chief priests, the elders who rejected Messiah and held to their own works of righteousness. But Jesus also made a clear distinction, not only between himself as the true shepherd with the false shepherds, but he made a clear distinction between those from the flock of Israel who knew his voice and those who did not know his voice. This makes Jesus to be the exclusive shepherd. He alone is the shepherd approved by God. There are those that heard his voice and they followed the true shepherd. Others did not recognize the voice of God's shepherd. And they did not follow him. And this is going to be stated even more Clearly in verse 26, Jesus distinguishes himself from the false shepherds of Israel by describing them, notice, as thieves and robbers who steal, kill, and destroy. And in this way, Jesus sets himself apart from all other spiritual leaders and teachers who deny his saving efficacy. He came as the door to save, he's expressing. These false shepherds, They destroy. And he he expresses it this way, all who came before him. It's a reference in particular to all those Jewish rulers who were leading the people of God contrary to the means approved by God, the means for salvation. And this means the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Jewish elders and priests, who as verse 1 says, Climb up another way. How do we know the false shepherds from the true? Because the false climb up another way. Trying to access the presence of God. Try to access the heavenly glories of God. Try to access salvation even by another way than that which was approved by God. Those are the false shepherds. They preached another path of salvation other than what Jesus provides, and in opposition to what God the Father has authorized. And in a more general application, the all who came before Christ even references the Old Testament false shepherds who led Israel astray. Jesus is not speaking of the faithful shepherds, the faithful prophets of the past, but again, it's those who climbed up another way. 
other than what God had ordained. And this includes the corrupt and false prophets, the evil, rebellious kings of Israel's past, the unfaithful priests who provided a perverted and a false access into God's favor. Jesus is not of this kind. That's what he's declaring when he says, I alone am the door. It's a metaphor that describes the true salvation and care for the flock of God that he alone provides. And this door, notice, provides easy access. If you're in a closed room, what's the easiest way to get out? To use the door that has been provided. What's the hard way in or out of a room? It's going to be to climb up over the wall and punch your way through the ceiling. That's the description Jesus is using of the false prophets in distinction with him as the true prophet. He's the door. He provides easy access into the presence of God, easy access into salvation because he accomplished all that was necessary for us to be saved. It's not by my own works. It's not by my own righteousness because I could never make it into the presence of God that way. But here are the false shepherds. They're thieves and robbers. They attempt to climb up over the wall. It's a description of man's works of righteousness. Man trying to get to God. Man trying to get to the eternal kingdom of heaven itself by their own merits. They're thieves and robbers that are representing spiritual leaders that attempt to bring men and women into the family of God by man's effort, man's works, man's righteousness, and not according to divine grace. In verse 9, those who enter through Christ will be saved. But verse 10 adds that the thieves and robbers only provide spiritual destruction to the souls of men. They steal, they kill, they destroy And this is a description of the spiritual violence that false teachers commit against those whom they may lead by the error of their teaching. We had a chance to visit with one of our missionaries from Africa just a couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I, and she was describing some of the violence that takes place between the Muslim tribes. And she was describing a pastor and his wife and family that were in this village that were right in the middle of this conflict. And these Islamic tribes were coming in to terrify, intimidate, and kill, and destroy. And the pastor told his wife, take the children, run. And she took off across the field. She had a baby strapped to her back. But she was in such a flight that the baby fell out of the straps. And she couldn't stop and turn around. And the child was hacked up by these religious fanatics. We see that as violence and killing and destruction. We say, well, there's a religion that is very violent. But the words of Jesus, I want you to notice, apply to any false religion that steals away the hearts and minds of people from the gospel of Jesus Christ that lead people away from the easy access into the kingdom of God, which is through Christ. He's the door. Take religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. They're often represented in our world today as peaceful and gentle and and compassionate, even contemplative. Some have attempted to show that Islam is peaceful. Or spiritual leaders like the Dalai Lama, who I'm going to mention in just a moment, gentle and kind. Yet false shepherds are guilty of leading the souls of men away from the only peaceful relationship 
that sinful men can have with the only one true God. They direct men and women to find salvation in themselves, which can only lead to spiritual death and a fiery violence of eternal judgment. In the eyes of God, all others who lead men and women to climb up some other way, in the eyes of God, there's spiritual violence. They're stealing, they're killing, destroying. The emphasis here in verses 7 to 10 is that only Jesus Christ can provide shepherding care that the souls of men need. Jesus also gives a description of the sheep who follow him to salvation. Again, expressing the exclusive nature of Christ as the door. Verse 8 distinguishes the true sheep of God as those who do not hear the false shepherds. This connects the true sheep with the true shepherd who is the door for a sheep. And what Jesus is teaching about himself here is that he alone is the one true shepherd. And he only shepherds his people. They're the ones that know his voice. And they follow him. There are no others. There are not multiple doors available to mankind. Jesus alone is the door. And all others apart from him are thieves and robbers, Jesus said. It's doubtful that if the Pharisees understood what Jesus was saying here, that they would approve, that they would appreciate his words. I think it is also doubtful that religious leaders today will appreciate the words of Christ here if they understood what he is saying about himself as the door for his sheep. Consider then with me, what should be the result For the true flock. We're hearing these words. We're listening to this analogy from Jesus. What kind of response should this elicit? What kind of result should this produce within our hearts and minds? And I think we can appreciate what this causes us to understand from our text. And hopefully how it causes us to respond. This is a declaration that says Jesus saves and he alone. We look to no other. We look to no other because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Christ alone. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It would be a mistake to presume that if we know about Jesus Christ that somehow we're part of his flock. It would be a mistake to say if I become a member of a church or this church or if I get baptized, then I will be part of this flock. John 10 is teaching gospel truth to those who are willing to hear it. We cannot enter in through other doors. We must enter in through Christ. We cannot climb up another way. When Jesus said in John 14 that he is the way He is describing the only provision for salvation that is available to men, and he is that way. We simply cannot gain entrance by our own merits, not even if we acknowledge that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of men. We cannot presume to gain entrance into God's favor by our own achievements, our own good works. Jesus Christ alone is the door, and to enter through him is to deny ourselves, to deny our own righteousness, to deny our works, to deny that we have any merit that will provide any help to us. 
We've often heard that expression, come as you are. And I hear this on the Christian radio quite a bit, just come as you are. And to some degree, I think we can agree, but we have to set up some limitations there. When we say come as you are, we've got to come as a sheep, acknowledging I have nothing to offer. I am broken by my own sin. I am in desperate need of a shepherd. We cannot come to Christ on our own terms. We cannot come to the cross saying, well, I have something to offer. I have something to contribute. So when we say, let's come as we are, what we mean is we must come as broken, fallen sheep that need the door, that need the shepherd. And if this truth of entering through the door alone is our expression of faith, then we also need to be watchful for false shepherds who lead men to other religious paths. I recently saw this quotation, and that's why the Dalai Lama came to mind. But this set of quotation was by the Dalai Lama. And if we hear the Dalai Lama spoken of throughout our world, our culture, even in the news media, he's often represented as a man of peace, very gentle and soft-spoken. And this is a quotation by the Dalai Lama. He says, my religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. Sadly, his kindness won't get him into the kingdom. At the same time, the spiritual leader also said, people take different roads seeking fulfillment and happiness. Just because they're not on your road doesn't mean they've gotten lost. To the world, that sounds wonderful. To the world, it sounds so pleasant to hear somebody say, my religion is kindness. It's very open-minded, very tolerant. And it makes other people think, well, that's wonderful. I'm okay as I am. What I believe is fine. God will accept me. But Jesus teaches those supposed gentle, kind ways are the ways of violence. It's the message of thieves and robbers. No matter how sincere, how peaceful, how kind their message may appear to be, to call men to enter any way but through Christ is to bring men and women to spiritual violence and destruction. Therefore, John chapter 10 not only teaches us that there is only one door, it teaches us be watchful for false shepherds that teach another way, that encourage men and women to climb up over the wall when we must enter in through the door. So not only is his exclusive care clearly painted in this analogy, But second, his protective care. This is the second reality behind the truth of our Lord's declaration. I am the door of the sheep. There is violence and danger associated with false shepherds. But for all who enter through the door, which is Christ, they will be saved. Verse 9, Jesus repeats, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Contrast that picture with the spiritual danger of verse 8. And what verse 9 is expressing is that come through the door and you'll find safe haven. You'll be saved. There will be protection there. God's flock will enter in and they will be safe because they've entered in through the good shepherd. This, This truth is reaffirmed later by John in recording the words of Jesus. 
verse 28 and 29. Listen to these words. They're the words of protection from the Savior. I give to my sheep eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and nobody is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Does that give you comfort, believer? Isn't that a magnificent phrase? It's telling us that our shepherd has a hold on us, and nobody can take us away from him. That not only has eternal implications, but it speaks to the here and now. I'm safe in Christ. Romans chapter 8, who can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Who can take us away from that? Who's bigger and stronger than God the Father? And Jesus in verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. We're working on this thing together. Who can steal us away from the Son of God? Well, nobody. Who can steal us away from God the Father? Well, nobody. Who can steal us away from Father and Son? Does that not give you security this morning? If you're here in faith in Christ, what is noteworthy in this discourse from John 10 is that we've moved from one sheepfold in verse 1 to now a different kind of sheepfold in verse 7. If you go back to verse 1, 2, and 3, we were looking at a sheepfold that was typical of the villages in Israel at that time, where there was a collective uh, embankment or shelter. And there was one doorkeeper, and you as a shepherd would bring your flock in, pay that doorkeeper to keep your flock by night. And here comes another shepherd with his flock, and he pays the doorkeeper, and he puts his sheep in among yours. And in the morning, you would go as your shepherd to your sheep, you would call them by name, and they would come out to you. Jesus says, I'm that shepherd. I'm the true shepherd of God. And I've come with the authority of God to call my sheep out by name. It's a picture of Jesus entering into Israel and having the authority to call out his elect ones, his chosen ones, the ones that God has ordained to save in the name of Christ. And he comes into Israel and he calls them by name and they come. Now in verse 7, we're looking at a little different sheepfold, aren't we? Because what Jesus is now describing, I am the shepherd of this particular flock, my redeemed ones, the ones the Father has given to me. They are mine. I know them. They hear my voice and they follow after me. Historically, these were the two kinds of sheepfolds that you would find in Israel, that collective sheepfold in the villages and the towns of Israel. But some shepherds aren't going to bring their flocks in by night. They're too far away. So they will create their own shelter out in the field. And that shepherd will watch out for his own sheep. And he would have this enclosure and he would lay himself down and sleep in the entrance of that enclosure. So that if the enemy came in, the shepherd was there to protect and to guard his flock. In verse 7, that's now the kind of sheepfold that we're looking at. Jesus is now describing, these are now my sheep. I've drawn them out of Israel. And later on in chapter 10, he says, verse 16, I have other sheep I'm going to bring in, the Gentile community, that are going to repent and by faith receive Christ as their Savior. They will be part of that particular flock, the redeemed of God, the church. And Jesus is saying, I'm the door of that flock. They're mine. They're safe. 
I protect them. I give them eternal life. Nobody's going to take them away from me. And I think realistically, if you look at Luke chapter 2, and you remember that the angels came to announce the birth of Christ, they came to shepherds that were in the fields watching their flocks by night. They held that kind of sheepfold that's being described by Christ here in verse 7 and 8. They were the kind of shepherds that stayed out in the field. They created their own safe haven. They watched out for their own flock. And it is by no accident that God sent angelic messengers to them. These angels didn't, in Luke 2, just step out of heaven and, oh, by the way, they bumped into some shepherds. God sent them there. We read John 10, don't you know now why? He's announcing to those shepherds watching over their individual flocks, the true shepherd has been born. You can go see him, he's in Bethlehem. The significance there is rich. As shepherds, they kept their flocks out in the fields and they gave testimony to what the true shepherd would do. As we see, we'll see in a moment, entering by this door also means that we are under the Lord's protective care in this present life, even as we will be in eternity. Jesus is identifying, this is my flock. I am the door. I will protect them. They come in through me. They will be saved and saved eternally. That eternal picture is very much there. That future look at our salvation. But we also need to discern what this means to us in the here and now. The flock is safe with Jesus. It emphasizes his protective care. Consider what John 10 has already taught us to this point. Jesus enters Israel as God's authorized shepherd, approved by the doorkeeper, to call out God's elect sheep. As Jesus said in verse 29, nobody can take these sheep from me. I've called them out. They are mine. I have saved them. Nobody can take them from my father. My father and I are one. Jesus calls each one of these sheep by name. He knows them intimately. He knows you by name. He knows you intimately if you are here and in Christ. Jesus leads them. And we as his sheep follow. We know his voice. And we follow him. He takes us on the path of righteousness. And we're going to see in our next study, this shepherd, this door lays down his life for his sheep to secure ownership over his flock. And he provides for them abundantly. This picture of sheep and the good shepherd represents our security in Christ Jesus. We are his now and forever we will be his. We are his now and forever we will be under his care and his protection. What must that say to believers this morning? Well, again, consider the result to the true flock of God, to this kind of understanding that he, the shepherd, provides protective care. He is the door. He keeps us safe. We are saved in him. The protective care that we find in John 10 is also communicated in Psalm 23 and verse 4, even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? 
because your rod, the shepherd's rod and his staff, they comfort me. If we belong to Christ by faith, we can trust in his care. That's the result. We are to trust in his care. We're to listen to his voice and to follow his life voice because he's safe. And we're safe and secure in him. And what this teaches us is that we're not to be a flock of sheep that are anxious and fearful. Not of viruses, not of governments, not of elections, not of the troubling report that we may get from the doctor, not over the concerning or disturbing circumstances of life. And I say this to you because I'm preaching to you the words of assurance that we have before us, but I'm preaching of one that gets anxious and fearful at times too. Why? Why do we get anxious and fearful? We're not remembering what our shepherd is to us. This encourages us. Trust in your shepherd. It encourages us. Have confidence in him. We're under his protective care. When Jesus is our good shepherd, he is our door. He keeps us safe. He protects. And paramount to our security is the knowledge that no matter what this life may or may not bring, we will spend our eternal days with him. No matter how chaotic this life, how disastrous this life may go for us, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's security. It's a security the world cannot provide. It's a safety that other religions cannot provide. We can confidently say that because Jesus is our shepherd. And we are safe in his flock. And third, this morning, not only do we see his exclusive care and his protective care here, but Jesus being the door for his sheep describes his nurturing care. I think few passages communicate this as wonderfully as John 10 and Psalm 23. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, my sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. This is now the second time Jesus, in verse 9, has repeated that he is the door. And that word door in the original language can mean a portal or a gate We might see as a a shepherd's fenced-in area, a gate might be appropriate. But a door works here as well, as our English translations give us. And we've seen already how Jesus declares himself to be that exclusive access into the family of God, what is here pictured as as his flock. These are the ones who have embraced Christ by faith. They've been saved from their sins, from eternal judgment. They've been granted eternal life with God, a life that... Jesus says, is abundant life. And at the same time, Jesus adds that this door not only gives access to eternal salvation, but it provides for the nourishment of God's sheep. Notice the going in and coming out. That doesn't describe going into salvation and losing salvation many times. Jesus is describing something else there, and he makes it clear. It's so that we can go in and out and what? Find pasture. Again, the language of shepherd and sheep 
is so wonderful for us when we understand the analogy and the metaphors that he's using here. Notice again verse 9 and how it complements David's description of the Lord as his shepherd. Once God's sheep enter into salvation through Jesus Christ, they go in and out and find pasture, passing back and forth through Jesus as the door who leads us not only to salvation, but he leads us to the spiritual blessings that come with salvation. And therefore, that pasture land is representative of his nurturing of us, spiritual provision, blessing. Think about green pastures, food that grows us, that keeps us healthy and alive. In Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What does that tell you? You're fat after a good meal, and you lay down and you rest content in what he's provided. Quiet waters. Have you ever stuck your face upside down under a spigot and you tried to drink? The water's going up your nose. You might get a quick drink. Sheep, they want to come to quiet waters. It's descriptive of drinkable water. Refreshing. It sustains. It gives life. This is Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You can contemplate David, what he's thinking there. David is sitting perhaps in his house, meditating on how good God has been to him over the years, how God has blessed his life, caused his kingdom to prosper. And in David's mind, he goes back to his youth, his shepherding days. The Lord, he is like my shepherd. Because David understood what he did for his father's sheep. He would take them to green pastures. And the sheep would get fattened up and they'd lay down after a good meal. They would lie down in those green pastures. He would have to take them to quiet waters where they could drink and live. David needed to bring his sheep to these places of nourishment. Why? Because as we've already covered, sheep are stupid. And they're stubborn. And they're self-willed. It's why we need to see ourselves as sheep that come to the cross in need of a Savior. Sheep are the kind of creatures that need this kind of care and guidance. I was thinking about growing up not with sheep, but with cows and horses My brother liked dairy cows. I hated dairy cows. I liked the beef cows. But when my brother was not there, old Mont got stuck with milking the stupid dairy cow. And I say stupid because this cow was stubborn and mean-spirited. Liked my brother, didn't like me. And when I tried to milk that thing, and sometimes I had to do it by hand, sometimes I used my brother's machine, but that cow would butt me and shove me up against the fence And I remember a time when I found a (laughs) two-by-four. And I chastened that stubborn cow. And I think a little bit of the shepherd with a staff in his hand. Because sometimes we're stubborn. And out of his love and care for me, he may wrap me on the side of the head. Gently at first. Now, I wasn't gentle with the cow, but the shepherd's staff is to draw us back into the care of green pastures and quiet waters because we can be stubborn. We can be foolish. We can be self-willed. 
Our protection is in the care and the nourishment of a shepherd that will do what we need to be done. And you'll notice that David, in using that imagery of green pastures and quiet waters, he tells us this isn't about grass and water. This is about spiritual nourishment. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And we're reminded here in Psalm 23, as we're witnessing in John chapter 10, that what Jesus provides for his people is not all that we may want out of life. Rather, Jesus gives to us that which we need. There are false shepherds in our day today that have taken John 10.10 to breach their selfish prosperity message. Jesus came to give us the abundant life. He wants you rich. He wants you healthy. He wants you to enjoy the good things of this life. And they see the abundant life as that which has Jesus giving us all that we may desire to make us happy in this life. And in this case, they've made Jesus to be the kind of shepherd that gives way to the whims of the sheep rather than what he, the good shepherd, determines we need. But notice how the Holy Spirit puts that deception to rest through David. The Lord restores my soul. And leads me on the paths of righteousness. Notice, for his name's sake. What Jesus does in caring for his flock and in nurturing us in the abundant life, he does for his own honor and glory. He shepherds his people to be holy and righteous so that he might be glorified and honored in his church so that his good character, the character of the good shepherd, will be seen in the good flock. Not that his church can be fattened up in greediness and selfish temporal living. Jesus is in no way obligating himself to help us store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's contrary to the, the nature of Christ. Rather, he restores our soul and leads us on the path of righteousness for his name's sake so that we might store up treasures in heaven. Consider what the result is going to be for the true flock of God. Under the nurturing care of the shepherd, who alone is good, under the shepherd who goes before his flock, leading them in the path of righteousness, I'm going to use the word satisfaction here. We're to be satisfied with his care. We're to abide in him and grow from his care because he knows what we need. And therefore, he keeps us from foolish and destructive pleasures. Jesus may determine to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Or through the valley of suffering and hardship. Or through the valley of sickness or poverty. But he will always lead us for his namesake. If we trust the goodness of our shepherd then we know that he will provide for us in a way that honors his name and glorifies his righteous character. And the, law, the Lord's flock will be better for it. You as a sheep will be better for it. Sometimes we need to be denied what we ask for. Sometimes we need correction. Sometimes we need rebuke and discipline. The good shepherd knows what we need. He's promised his sheep that he will work all things together for good because he is the what shepherd? 
the good shepherd. Therefore, like David, the testimony of our life should be, the Lord is my shepherd, say it with me, I shall not want. That's satisfaction. And I have to say, I struggle with that too. Because I see things in this world that I want. And many times the Lord says you can't have them. You don't need it. You need what I will give. David was saying at the end of the day, he wants only what his shepherd desires to give him. Now in the Psalms, we read many times that David is pleading with the Lord for something. And he may not receive it. But what God gave or didn't give, David says, I'm going to be satisfied with. He could sing this hymn because he knew in Psalm 23, the goodness of the one who is shepherding his soul. Can we sing that same song of worship with David? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want any more than he, my good shepherd, is pleased to give me. He is the door, the only access to salvation, and the only access to good spiritual blessing. He is the exclusive Savior. He's the Savior that protects his own. And he is the Savior that nourishes us according to his good pleasure and his good character. Father in heaven, can we just join our hearts together this morning and praise you for your son who has taken good care of us. By his own bloody sacrifice, he has brought us salvation. And we find the promise of our Savior that in Christ, by faith, we're safe there. Our salvation can never be taken from us. We can never be taken out of your good pleasure once we are in the sheepfold by Christ. We praise you, Father, because even in the here and now, you nourish and provide. You give us green pastures, causing us to lie down in satisfaction with what you've provided, bringing us to the quiet waters that refresh and that provide life for us. Give to us by your spirit that response that acknowledges our trust in you, our satisfaction in you, and it's to you alone that we will come. There is no other. It's to Christ we will come. And we give thanks in his name. Amen.